The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide uh, here with, uh, well, albeit virtually, with with the, the, the man himself, the inimitable, uh, the high, very, very highly acclaimed local author, Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. I thought we agreed on world-renowned. Oh, oh man, <laughs> we'll have to do that next time. All right. Yeah, critically overlooked as well. I think it's another one we can go for. <laughs> How are you doing, mate? You well? Commercially disappointing, yeah. Whatever. Commercially disappointing. <laughs> so I won't listen to your uh, consistently commercially your disappointing. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, yeah. So we're doing this one. We're doing this one remotely. Um, all the cool podcasts do. I realise that we strive yeah, to get into absolutely. the same every time. I've been listening to um, the, the Rest is Politics, which is quite a big podcast. It's number one in the charts at the minute, and they're sometimes in different countries doing it, let alone well, different parts go, of the then. country. Yeah. So well, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking live from LA, as you as you know. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Live from it all stands for living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, live from WGC, um, and uh, yeah. We're, yeah. we're here doing this. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, but this is the, the film guide. What we do with the film guide, if you're new to this, welcome along. Hello. Good to have you here. Uh, we look at uh, Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the week ahead. Uh, we'll also take a look at a film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten. Uh, but before that, we'll look at new releases on the streaming services and in the cinemas and one from each. So let's start with the cinema. And where are we? Where are we starting first, Howard? Right, we're going to start on the bullet train. That's the big release for this week. Um, stars somebody I've never heard of called Brad Pitt, but no. obviously this, know, this could make him. By the I know it's you know. I know his cousin Cess. Cess Pitt, yes, that's the fella. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Brad, he stars as an assassin in this one. Um, he's a trained killer uh, called Ladybug, which is a bit of an unusual. Um, epithet for a man he wants to give up the life but is pulled back in by his handler oh, that's Maria Beetle. yeah yeah just what i wanted out they dragged me back in yeah. um, in order to collect a briefcase on a bullet train heading from tokyo to kyoto uh, on board the train there are competing assassins who are all after the same objective so it's not a documentary um i think it's relatively light-hearted action flick uh, and it also stars Michael Shannon and Sandra Bullock, amongst others. So a bit of fun, I guess. What I would tend to refer to as a Saturday night movie. And it's based on a Japanese novel, which was <clears throat> the uh, eponymous Maria Beetle. But it's published in English as Bullet Train. And it was written by Kotaro Izaka. Okay. I have a feeling, but I could be wrong on this, that I saw a trailer for this out ages ago which makes me wonder if this is one of these movies that's actually been around you know that they've been yeah. you know it's filmed a while back and they've been waiting to release it because Cir um, circling the airport as we yeah i'm sure i've seen a, this um, but but i mean i could i could be wrong but uh but yeah uh, but the the cast let, let's look at the cast first because it has got a, a an impressive all-star cast in it hasn't it um we, we've got uh it's just gone off of my screen, of course. But you mentioned there uh, Brad Pitt, um, and then there's uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, and you've got uh, uh, Sandra Bullock, as you said. Michael Shannon is in there as yeah, well. Yeah, he's always good, Michael Shannon. Yeah. Um, Massey Oka, who people might not know, the, well, probably won't know, almost certainly won't know the name, but they might know his face because he used to, he was the main guy in Heroes, which was that TV series from a few oh, years yes. back. Yes, about I remember that. Yeah. Oh. And also he was more recently in Hawaii 5 -0. I think he was the pathologist or whatever, you know, the doctor bloke who 
cuts up the dead bodies and tells you why they died and fills a little bit of time. Um, he was him for a while in, in that. So um, he might be recognised. And I believe there might even, I don't know if this is a spoiler, it doesn't matter. Um, I believe there might be a cameo from Ryan Gosling in there somewhere. Oh, right. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I didn't um, realise that. But, uh, yeah. but I was intrigued by the director as well, David Leach. I think is how you might say his name. I think so, yes. L-E-I-T-C hit. That's, I'm going with Leach. Yeah, uh, because he and Brad Pitt have got quite a connection. They've, they've um, done a lot of films together because he used to be Brad Pitt's stunt double. Oh, wow. Well, okay, from stunt double to director. That's a pretty yeah. good progression, isn't it? Well, this isn't his first film as director. Um, he directed Deadpool 2, and he's directed a couple of other action-y sort of things. So this, this is very much his bag. Um, but yeah, um, he was uh, Brad Pitt's stunt double in films including Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, Troy, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Wow, so and then, a few bruises along the way in the yeah. fight scenes. And then oh, Brad Pitt has the... been involved with some of his directorial efforts in the past. Apparently he had a small cameo in Deadpool 2 as a favour yeah, to his right. friend, um, David Leach. He, he probably accidentally punched on several occasions, you know, and, <laughs> or he took a few falls for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, it's, it, does, it, it does sound like a brainless Saturday night action film that might be a really good yes. ride, but not, not one you really want to think about. No, one way you don't worry too many uh, if you have too many beers while you're watching it because the plot is probably uh, not that relevant. Yeah. Do you know what? I've just seen the hat that Brad Pitt is wearing. I am certain I've seen this trailer a long time ago now. He's got like this little fisherman's hat thing on. And, and yeah, uh, yeah, I think this film might have been circling for quite some time before it's landed. I think you're right. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway. Well, yeah, Brad- the question is, is it worth the wait? We'll have to wait and see. Won't we? I guess so, but, but I suspect <coughs> it probably is. You know, it, it'll probably... It probably ticks the boxes it claims to tick in the in the yeah, promotion. I, so. I mean, uh, we joke about these things, but I do I, I, because I do tend to call them Saturday night movies. But there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No. If you're in the right mood, and, um, and it's, kind and of it's what... on at the Campus West in Welling, so I might you know wander out there and, <laughs> and check it out. And it's also it is the sort of thing that that the, where, where films. The cinema is is good for this sort of thing. It is it is a you know a Saturday night cinematic experience. Um, yeah, of of late cinemas have struggled, and then I think films like Top Gun recently and and other such things have proven the worth of cinemas again. And and in fact, um, I've, I was reading just this morning that uh, f- studios now are pulling some of their um, streaming oh, releases. Batgirl. Yeah. Yes, that well, has been pulled, hasn't it? Yeah. That one's been pulled in its entirety, it would seem. That's incredible, isn't it? They spent seventy-five million dollars on a movie, and they've just so nah. Yeah, they've, they've, just, they've so made it. it. They've can They've yeah. made it, and they're going to shelf it. It's not even as if it didn't quite reach productions. They yeah. finished filming it. It's well, made. I don't get about that. I appreciate it's a very high-level executive decision and very strategic, or possibly tactical, or whatever. But um, I don't get how that could be worse than the movie coming out and not doing very well, because this is a movie that's not coming out at all and won't do anything so baffling my, my guess is that because i read somewhere about there was a it's a business thing as well that that it can effectively be written off at this stage off the balance sheet yeah yeah mm. um but but also because i gather that films of this magnitude often the, the amount it costs to put it up onto the screen is, yeah, market is well, sometimes yeah. double what it costs to make it so they might end up spending another $150 million to That's get true. it from its current position to the screens. If, and, um, and if it's a good accountancy practice, if there are any movie production companies out there who would like to pay you and I $75 million for a movie that will never see the light of day, then we probably wouldn't uh, re- resist, would we? We'd no. be up for negotiations on that one. But what I was gutted about was reading that 
it has Michael Keaton as Batman in it. Yeah. And they've shelved it. And and the, the way this article is written, we may never see that film. It may never Can see the Can you imagine the poor lass who's playing Batgirl? Yeah. Thinking it was going to give her career quite a boost and, you know, well, nobody yeah, would ever get to see it. Yeah. There were established actors in it. J.K. Simmons is in it as well and, and uh, Brendan Fraser they and yeah. Michael Keaton. They probably don't care because they got paid. And their profiles mm. are already probably at the yeah. pinnacle of where they're ever likely to be. This one movie is not going to make a difference. No, but it would to her, I think, yeah. Yeah, but oh, if well. it's that much of a stinker, maybe it would harm people if it came Yes, good way. point. But yeah, it went as far we as test screenings, and, and yeah, it didn't do well, apparently. Anyway, Bullet Train is the film we are talking about, and that's out in all good cinemas now. Indeed. That was a question, yeah? Oh, I thought it was a statement. <laughs> you said it was such authority. Yeah, yeah so I should have put more of an <laughs> yes, inflection in there. Is it out now? <laughs> It is, indeed, it is. <laughs> it's definitely out now. Well, this is smooth today. Uh, it is, isn't it? We're, we're just like watching two tennis players batting the ball back and forth. Perfect. Just... All right, more oh, from dear. Howard in a minute. We're back with world-renowned, highly cl- critically acclaimed um, author Howard Linsky. Did I get it right that time? I thought you were going to say the highly critical author, Howard Linsky. (laughs) (laughs) I never critical of your performance. So I always think you do really, really well. But there you go. Thank you. And I like some of your books. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Backhanded compliment, if ever there were one. Um, So we're back. Just mention the ones you didn't like. We'll just bury those ones. (laughs) (laughs) You you know which ones as well as I do. Anyway. You know, but it was the early ones when you cared. They were the good ones. Right. Um, (laughs) That's not actually true. They weren't that good either. Uh, So (laughs) Uh, uh. the the listener knows that I am very disrespectful and you write good books. And we've established that on a number of occasions. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just just banter, isn't it, mate? Yeah, a bit of banter. Yeah. So uh, we move on to uh, releases on uh, streaming services. What we do in this bit is we look at uh, original movies on streaming services because every week streaming services release lots of movies from from the ages, uh, some recent, some old. uh, But we we don't focus on those. We look at the 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 ones that have not been anywhere before. And uh, invariably, these are either made by the streaming service companies or at the very least, they are being distributed by them. Uh, And so we've got one that is a prime video release that comes out on the 5th of August. So that that one comes out Friday the 5th of August. And it's called 13 Lives. Yes. Now, whether you've heard of the movie or not, most people will have heard of the incident that it portrays. You think the remarkable rescue of 13 children with the, well, 13 people, including children, who were trapped in in an underwater cave in Thailand. And then the waters rose. So they went down to explore the caves and they went deep into the cave complex. The waters came up, the rains poured down and filled the area that they were meant to be coming out of and they were trapped and that did not look like any way to get them out. And so the rescue operation had to be incredibly clever, um, very, very uh, arduous and courageous. And this is the story of what happened in that cave complex, which um, was uh, the Tam Luang cave, uh, and it had a, a junior football team that were, were went off for a day out and got absolutely trapped there. <clears throat> and uh, the world watched while we, while everybody tried to get these kids out. And they were pumping water out, but they had to be rescued by experienced divers. And it was extremely dangerous. One of the divers was killed, um, a Navy SEAL. So a guy who was um, very tough and very um, resourceful did not survive the rescue operation. 
And the story of how they got these kids out is just remarkable. And uh, unsurprisingly, a couple of years down the line has been, uh, well, four years down the line, has been t- turned into a Hollywood movie directed by Ron Howard. It's also got Viggo Mortensen in it. Um, and the rest of the cast comprises Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton, and Tom Bateman. So some pretty heavyweight names involved. Yeah. And um, it looks good. And so it, reading about this as well, uh, it's kind of interesting. So the, the real-life uh, John Volenthan apparently originally wanted Rowan Atkinson to play him. And wow. Ron Howard said, we're not making that kind of movie. Uh, and and <laughs> apparently then told him we're going to get Cat Colin Farrell to play him. And apparently this guy replied, I've got no idea who that is. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, but you know, subsequently he went on to work with him quite... wanted Ron Atkinson. <laughs> yeah. But apparently subsequently John Volenthan worked with Colin Farrell and they spoke frequently and Colin Farrell took up some of his interests and hobbies to try to feel more like him and apparently oh distance running was a hobby of um the the, the, the real life uh, john volenthan and at the end of the shoot uh colin farrell taking this so seriously he ran in the brisbane marathon um wow. so uh yeah and and then also i've read that Viggo mortensen and colin farrell um did all their own um diving shots themselves and and it seemed Viggo mortensen said to ron howard that he felt that that it would add far more authenticity if all the underwater shots were then and not any doubles at any point. And Ron Howard agreed, right. and they both got certified as scuba divers to do I it. I think they should be certified as maniacs because the <laughs> only thing preventing me from even watching this film, let alone taking a starring role in it, would be complete claustrophobia. <clears throat> the, I mean, cave diving, got to be one of the most dangerous hobbies ever invented and one of the craziest. You know, you're not only diving, <clears throat> but you're squeezing through tiny little gaps where people could get trapped. And, but surely uh, you don't believe yeah, for a terrifying. second that they filmed in caves, do you? It's all going to be studio, uh, isn't it? No, I would imagine. Well, I don't know how they did the filming, but I just uh, by uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is me as a person watching yeah. the movie. I would be just too. I'd find it too traumatic. I think because I'm, I'm not very good with that kind of level of claustrophobia. You know. Yeah, I'd but like, Howard, oh I'm God, trying to, I'm yeah. trying to make sure you don't talk yourself out of a job here because if they wanted to hire okay. you to make a film like this, you because you wouldn't be in a it wouldn't really be a claustrophobic space. It'd be a pretend claustrophobic space because True. And I would be the writer. I could be writing from my desk. It wouldn't Yeah. Matter. But they might <laughs> cast you, you know, based on this if they think your commitment to the for, role. For my looks are just for the fact that I'm quite small and I would fit. <laughs> all of all of it. All of it, obviously. All of the above. <laughs> but yeah, it does look all all jokes aside, it does look like a a, a, quite a um, remarkable movie, and it's certainly telling a, a remarkable tale. And uh, I don't, I don't really want to spoil it by saying how it ends, but uh, it could have ended far more grimly than it did. Put it that well, way. Yeah. It well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's probably a reasonably well known ending because it's a real it life is, event yeah. that didn't happen that long ago. But <clears throat> yeah, yeah and, I mean, I, I remember watching. Have you ever seen the the movie The Descent about people who go about some girls who go caving, and it all goes a bit wrong. Oh, no. was, that a, was that a real story? Was that like a, a fictionalized No, that wasn't a real story. But, but I'm just thinking about if you think this sounds bad, don't ever watch The Descent. Right. Yeah, because The Descent was one, one of the... I do not watch list. It was one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in the cinema by a long shot. It was <laughs> oh, a, Br- wow. a British movie by a director called Neil Marshall who did a film called Dog Soldiers. And this oh, I know was, Dog Soldiers, yeah. And this was effectively his follow-up to it. Um, and it wasn't connected to Dog Soldiers. This was his next movie. Um, but, yeah, oh. it's about these British girls who go caving, and it all goes a bit wrong. And, uh, and yeah, your, your, your sort of sense of claustrophobia would be magnified. It would yes, be... I, 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 to be honest with you, I'm thinking uh, they, go, they go anything to do with caves or anything could go wrong. 
pretty yeah. much. So yeah, it's a, not a bad premise for a, a no. movie to scare the hell out of people. But but I saw I saw yeah. um, a behind the scenes shot of that movie being made, and it showed this sort of like cross section of a cave with a with a, what quite a small tunnel with the actor in it, but it was only half of it. So the actor, if they turned to the left they'd have saw the cave wall that they were crawling yeah. alongside. But when they turned to the right, it was a massive open soundstage because yeah. that's where all the cameras were. I could deal with the... it, I think. I could yeah. deal with the cross-section crawling along that. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. So you know, if you yeah. get offered a diving movie, the chances are it would only be the bit behind you that would be all claustrophobic. You look out to the camera and the cameramen and the crew and the person holding the boom thingy and all that and the catering table, you won't feel so claustrophobic. In, in that case, I'll reconsider my yeah. stance. But, Don't uh, talk but, yourself but out of the job. Just don't expect me to watch the finished article in the cinema because, you know, I'd still be terrified. You could, you might attend the premiere, <laughs> but like a lot of them, you won't say and watch the movie. You'll just do all the handshaking yeah. out the front and then go out the back. I, I, well, I was going to head for the bar, actually, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> the best place to be at a film premiere. Yeah, you, you can take the boy out of the northwest. Anyway. I know. Northeast, please. Northeast? Oh, sorry. Oh, God, <laughs> northwest? Good heavens. I know you think it's all the same. <laughs> it really is. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Forgive him for he knows not what he says. <laughs> the Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. We've reached the point in the uh, Film Guide where uh, world-renowned, highly critical uh, local author Howard Linsky uh, chooses a film that, in his opinion, is too good to be forgotten. And rarely for this feature, he has picked a film that I haven't heard of, so I have forgotten it. Yeah, you see, this is all my challenge. Yeah. My challenge every month is to try and find one and go, have you seen it? And if you say no, then I go, ha-ha, it is too good to be forgotten. So, um, But anyway, it's Hardware from 1990, which um, I suppose if I had to sum it up very quickly, it's a bit of a poor man's Terminator or a sort of um, lower budget than the original Terminator Terminator. So this isn't the sitcom featuring Pete Martin Freeman who worked in a hardware store? No, that's not the one. Right, no, okay, no, huh. I, I must admit, I don't even know that one. But um, ah, yeah, you see, that was the, maybe um, that was too good to be forgotten. This this was too good to be forgotten. Yeah. So this is British sci-fi oh. originally, in the sense that it's a British director, um, and it did have a bit of a controversial um, aftermath because um, they were sued by the makers of uh, 2000 AD because the storyline uh, was either um, reminiscent of or filched from, depending on your outlook. Uh, uh, a short story uh, entitled Shock, S-H-O-K, that appeared in the 1980 Judge Dredd annual. So there you go. It's um, uh, reminiscent of that. The plot um, basically revolves around a post-apocalyptic world in which a man finds some wreckage of a robot. And he thinks, it's all in bits, he thinks, oh, my girlfriend would like this because she's an artist, deals in metal, makes sculptures. I'll bring these bits back, a little bit of a gift to her. Um, she can make art from them. But unfortunately, it turns out that the uh, the robot was one of these uh, military killing machines that can regenerate itself and repower itself. So as soon as she starts working on it, um, it waits until everyone's in bed and it recharges itself and puts itself back together, which is a little sounds a little fanciful, I know, but it's done well. Um, it's got Dylan McDermott in it as Moses, um, Mo Baxter, Stacey Travis plays Jill, his uh, paramour, and John Lynch, the Irish actor, who you've probably seen in all sorts of things from Cal to, um, you know, I think he was in um, uh, several Irish movies in the 80s, so you'll, you'll know his, uh, his He was face. in the thing with, um, 
uh, oh, Gillian Anderson, uh, The Fall, was it, over that was set in Northern Ireland? Yeah, <clears throat> I think he was, and he was also in The Name of the Father okay. as well, as one of the people that um, was wrongly imprisoned for the bombings. So he plays a character called Shades. Um, you've got uh, cameos from Iggy Pop and Lemmy, which are quite amusing. And uh, it's it's got a bit of a cult status, this one. So if you like stories about robots that reassemble themselves and go on the rampage in a brutal manner, while humans try to escape and out with them, this is for you. It's a good watch. It's quite gritty. A um, little bit uh, kind of, I suppose, dated, but, you know, it's 32 years old. And if you like these little sci-fi post-apocalyptic curios, this one could be for you. Okay. Uh, I've tried to find something of interest to share about this movie because I, I knew nothing about this movie at all. Didn't even know it, it has existed. a low profile. Uh, yeah. And uh, all I could find is that Dylan McDermott, who uh, starred in it, who I recognise, I, I, I think he was in um, In the Line of Fire, the Clint Eastwood movie, uh, where he was a oh, Secret yeah. Service. And I think this guy played another Secret Service agent uh, that was perhaps under his wing, maybe. Um, uh, oh, he was in The Practice. That's where I also know him from. He was the lead actor in the TV um, right. drama, The Practice. played a guy called Bobby Donald. Yeah. But apparently at the time of making this, he was also Julia Roberts, who was like the biggest actress on the planet at that time. He was her boyfriend. And apparently she dumped him while, while they were making this. Ah. Oh, so, oh, yeah. Julia. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Well, there you oh, go. Bless him. <laughs> I couldn't find anything else really. So he, but... he cried his way through the premiere. Yeah, apparently he was quite depressed through the making this movie because he'd just broken up with Julia Roberts. Um, to be honest, it's not a bad look in a movie where you're being pursued by a homicidal robot. So, you know, yeah. you don't want to look too cheerful, really. Okay. And is, is, so, so is the robot the called Angry Bob? Or have I made that up? Uh, I can't remember if the robot because I like a lot of these things. I I dredge them from my memory because I've seen them, but I haven't seen them for quite a long while. But I'll tell you I why I've asked robot. that because I noticed in the credits that Iggy Pop plays the voice of Angry Bob. Oh, I think it might be. Is he a guy on the radio? Uh, Angry Bob, you know, one of these. Okay. Uh, so like a shock jock, but from and you know, I'm saying this, praying that I'm not getting this wildly wrong. Um, no, maybe that just, makes sense. Then. I'll do a bit of frantic googling in the background, you know. Okay, um, um, and also Lemmy from Motorhead was in this movie. He played taxi yeah, driver. Hang on. I, Iggy Pop was Angry Bob, who was uh, coming to you loud and clear on WAR Radio with the good news and the bad news. So yeah, he's he's the post-apocalyptic DJ who tells you what's what. Right. That one. So yeah, that's Angry Bob. Yeah, that rings a bell. Okay, or it rang a bell. Right. Well, so thankfully, I wasn't wildly off. That was so. That's the movie that Howard is says is too good to be forgotten. The uh, mm. near future, as it was at the time, I guess now it's set in our past because this was set in the twenty first century. Um, yeah, that came out I in nineteen ninety. Uh, and it's, I love it when sci-fi movies do that. They sort of go 25 years from now and they deal you a whole post-apocalyptic landscape with all sorts of tech. And then you get beyond that time and look back and go, mm, didn't happen. Yeah, not quite. You, you get if me. I wrote a post-apocalyptic story, I'd set it 50 years after my ultimate death so nobody <laughs> could ever tell me I got it wildly wrong. Well, well, you get now why sometimes they're vague about this. Like apparently the original Star Trek, they to begin with, Gene Roddenberry wanted to be vague about when it was in the future because he was worried that if this was still around, <clears throat> at that point that that had passed it would no longer be relevant um yeah and then eventually they, they decided yeah. that it was going to be set so far ahead in the future that it wouldn't really be a problem anymore um but mm. but yeah I think that's very sensible that's exactly what i would do if i was around this kind of thing because yeah. you will get people who get snarky about the fact you got it slightly wrong yeah because if you just say oh it's set in the near future then whenever you watch it that period hasn't it'll always happened. be in the near future yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway if you're if you're thinking of writing something like this take heed 
That's, that's what I say. I will. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, hardware, uh, a British sci-fi. Actually, that's another thing that's interesting, isn't it? If, it, if, if you say to me British sci-fi, I straight away think it's going to be gory. It's going to be horrific. It's going to be not for the kids. Um, yeah, there's a little bit. It's not no more violent than Alien or Terminator, so it's not really focused on that. I mean, the robot itself does get armed with various cutting and drilling devices, mm. but you don't see too much that's going to put you off your dinner. But but do you not do you not think that, or or is it just my, perhaps I don't have much experience of this genre? But but British sci-fi movies are kind mm. of like that, as opposed to. A sci-fi movie, which could be anything from The Thing and Alien to E.T. British sci-fi makes me think it's always going to be, you know, Hellraiser, I I, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a bit gritty. Yeah. Yeah. I think budget has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? Because if you haven't got effects and you haven't got, you know, you're not going to do some panorama space battle or something, you're going to have to focus on more uh, visceral, up-close stuff. Mm. So maybe that's why it lends itself to this kind of violent, on screen mm. thing, but I don't. From memory, I don't think hardware is going to cause you nightmares as such. It's not too gory. There are obviously little bit gory bits in it, but okay, you know, not for yeah. children. And of course, my my point there about British sci-fi. I'm talking about films because you think of British sci-fi on television, you'll think Doctor Who, which is the ultimate sort of family-friendly type of thing. But uh, anyhow, that's true. So hardware. Yeah. That's the film that Howard Linsky has claimed has deemed it to be too good to be forgotten. Time now to take a look at Howard Linsky's choice of uh, films on free-to-air TV for the week ahead. We're going to start with Friday the 5th of August. And we've moved a long way from uh, from the film that was in the previous part where we were talking about um, as it's some kind of like robot that becomes sentient and evil and stuff because we've gone a long, long way away from that with your next choice. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yeah. Uh, we Actually, oddly enough, we have come a long way, about $200 million difference, I think, in terms of budget. But um, I suppose the first Terminator movie was the low-budget hit that launched um, James Cameron, and he you know, followed it up with the big-budget Terminator 2, which was a fabulous movie. So, um, you know, pretty epic story. James uh, Cameron, king of the sequels? Oh, well, I guess he must be, yeah. So he's done pretty well out of them, hasn't he? Crikey. Well, well two, two yeah. of the greatest well, Titanic sequels. 2 was boring, I thought, you know. <laughs> uh, two, two, two of the biggest sequels of all time he directed both of them it was you know Aliens and Terminator 2 yeah and isn't he doing is he doing Avatar as well I believe That's he's coming. making Avatars 2, 3, 4 and 5 at the moment and oh I think Ava- yeah. Avatar 2 is looming uh, I think it's imminent right. oh goodness me yeah, so he'll be the king of the sequel of the sequel of the sequel eventually. But uh, yeah. hats off to him for Terminator 2 because it's a terrific movie. I think we've talked about it before um, in passing. So it might have even been a free-to-air TV film a year ago. But um, this one is definitely worth uh, giving a, uh, staying up a little bit later for and giving a go. It's on at 10.45 p.m. on ITV. Uh, Schwarzenegger is back, as in I'll be back, uh, as is Linda Hamilton. And it also stars Robert Patrick and Edward Furlong. So it's a sequel to the 1984 movie coming seven years later. And it's the second installment in the Terminator franchise, which seems to keep going, doesn't it? Even though the law of diminishing returns with it, really. But, it um, does. The mal- but the final, um, the most recent Terminator film, which I think is the first one since this one to also have Linda Hamilton in it, the very beginning of it, 
negates all the other Terminator movies. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And you either feel cheated or you go with it, whichever. But, yeah, so if, you've, if you're yeah. new to the thing and you think, oh, my word, there's loads of them and there's a TV, don't worry about all that. Mm. Watch the first two and then the last one because all mm. the other events didn't happen because of what they did at the beginning of the last one. Yes, they do. it seems to be a thing in Hollywood and places like you know the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever to just wipe something. And mm. uh, I, I tend to do my daughter and I have a phrase that no one ever, no one's ever really dead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe until they, you know, suddenly reappear. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit like that, I suppose. But um, that this is very, very good. It's a, a reimagining of it all. And um, as I said, they they had a bigger budget. Uh, the idea was that uh, the the um, Skynet, the, the artificial intelligence that's taken over the world, they send a Terminator back in time to kill the future leader of the Resistance, John Connor, while he is still a child. And the Resistance, they also send back uh, a reprogrammed Terminator to protect John Connor. But he is of the uh, second generation, so he has a, a, a built-in disadvantage. He's not as advanced as the one he has to try and save John Connor from. And uh, basically the, the more advanced version pursues John and his mum and the Arnold Schwarzenegger lookalike Terminator um, across tranches of America, and it gets very good. It's a very, very good movie. I, I well think where Cameron is, is nothing short of a genius with the way that he, he, I believe he wrote this or co-wrote this as well as directing it, is that he knew that by the time, you know, because of the success of Aliens for him and the, the rising star of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was not a big star when he did term, The Terminator, uh, he, he knew he had something here, but at the same time, Arnie was the villain in the first one. And the appetite was not for him to be a villain again, whether that was Arnie's own appetite, whether that was a, com- you know, whether Arnie was a big enough star to say, I'll do it, but I'm not the villain. Um, well, it's interesting. He did the same thing with the Android in um, Alien, in Aliens. So both female lead characters in um, Aliens and Terminator 2 start out with an inbuilt distrust of, of the Android, yeah androids are robots uh, that is then disproved so they kind of you know stay away from me and stay away mm. from my crew members or son or whatever and then they realize that actually those people are on their side and it's quite clever the way they do yeah that. but but even more dramatic in terminator 2 because the android looked exactly like the one that was the the one hunting her down trying to True. kill her in the first one yes um yes so you know and, and the fact that james cameron pulled it off and that we as the audience completely buy into the fact that yeah this guy was this horrific scary like android monster thing that was came back came came back from the future to 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 kill everyone and they they only just about survived killing it and then he's back yeah. again oh but this time he's good you know we bought all and that because there's just- a nice comic comic twist that goes along with what you're saying because uh john connor realizes that the the robot or you know the the terminator is actually programmed to do what he says whether it's stand on one leg or don't kill everyone or whatever. So you get some lovely scenes when that happens, you know, mm. where Schwarzenegger's character shoots a bunch of people in the legs and goes, I did not kill them. <laughs> so, yeah. <you> know? <laughs> and some of the, I mean, you, you, you mentioned about the budget and of course the, the special effects for their time were absolutely groundbreaking and the way that they, mm, they were the, 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 the new Terminator was able to, to sort of like turn into like a liquid metal and change shape and do all of that. It looked stunning and never really had been seen before on in 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 the cinema uh but i think as well credit to the actor because robert patrick you fully believed that he could beat the life out of arnold schwarzenegger and he's tiny mm. compared to arnie but yeah, you, you bought true. into that and he was suddenly scary as anything 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, the role that defines his career, really, isn't it? It's the one he's most known for even now after all these years, and uh, he yeah. was very good. And, and you know, <laughs> thankfully, he's gone on to have quite a career. He's He's been in a lot of things. He was in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he was in uh, The X-Files. He replaced David Duchovny in, for a couple of years in The X-Files, and and he did um, – uh, there was a TV series recently called Scorpion, and he was in that as well, where he played like an FBI agent of some description. And and he, he's, he's gone on to have quite the career. Uh, but but that look that he had, I mean, he he cameoed in another. I think it was was it the last action hero, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, and he cameoed in that where he turned up as a cop dressed just like he was from Terminator Two. And oh. I don't even know if he had any dialogue. You just saw him. Do you know what? I was think, I don't know why I was thinking it was a Mike Myers movie, like um, Austin Powers or something. But maybe it, it is possible he up. also did that. Uh, maybe oh, he did that yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, but but yeah, there was um, you know yeah. he 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 created such a scary and iconic look in that movie. You know, he, all credit to him. And I think he was mm. virtually unknown before. Not that he's yeah, he a was. household name now, but but it, yeah. yeah, certainly a household face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people most people have seen this movie. and It's worth a second glance. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's the, the the fantastic Terminator Two Judgment Day, uh, which comes out, uh, which is on Friday the fifth of August, ten forty five p.m. ITV. Also, that has a future in it that is actually now our past because doesn't it state that there's a time in the is it the mid twenty tens when when oh. the machines all rose up and started taking over and and that's now in our past. Wow. Yeah. See, just, just say near future. And, you know. Yes, just yeah, in the not too distant future, yeah, as they put yeah. on a lot of movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Much safer. Okay, uh, we move on to another sci-fi action epic, I believe, uh, which is on Saturday the 6th of August, 6pm on, on BBC Two, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, loads of androids and robots doing battle in Jane Austen's famous 1813 novel of the same name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you're just surprised that I chose a romantic drama film. I am, That's my yes. choice for Saturday the 6th of August, but I do think this is a very good adaptation of... Uh, uh, a classic book um, featuring five sisters from an English family as they have to deal with the issues of their time, including marriage, morality, and the other M misconceptions. So Kira Knightley, who I thought was extremely good in the role of Elizabeth Bennet. You've got Matthew McFadden playing her romantic interest, Mr. Darcy. This, oddly enough, is a movie that's a little bit overshadowed by the TV series that lots of people seem to love um, from an earlier era. Back in the oh, 90s. yes, with Col Colin Firth, wasn't it? Which was Colin, 10 years Colin before, Firth, yes. in, in <coughs> yeah, 1995. Yeah. But I thought this was a solidly good adaptation. And the, the cast is very good. You've got Brenda Blethyn in it as the, the mother, <laughs> Donald Sutherland as uh, Kieran Knightley's father in this. He's very good in it. Tom Hollander has a good star turn as Mr. Collins, the rather absurd reverend who's come looking for a wife. Rosamund Pike's in it as the, the wrong sister Jane. Carrie Mulligan's in it, so um, she's one of the other sisters. So the acting's first rate. I think it's a very good adaptation by Joe Wright. And um, yeah, you know, if you don't mind a bit of romance for a change, um, yeah, for once I've chosen something that wasn't a, a battle in World War Two. Was my my film choice for a Saturday? So it's not a Saturday night movie in the old fashioned sense of the way I describe it, but in a very very old fashioned sense, it's a Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah. Saturday night but, movie, but it is by a director who has made films that would fall into to your sort of your your preferred favorite genre. Because didn't yes. um, Joe Wright make um, uh, Darkest Hour? That was him, wasn't it? 
Uh, I think he might. Did he do also do atonement? Or am I getting mixed up? Yeah, yeah he did atonement what? as well. Uh, Whenever I say anything like that aloud, I always say, God, I should have researched this before I just pontificated. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he directed atonement. I'm quite happy to act as your 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 safety net on these things. You you go and put your neck out there, yeah. and then I'll go. At and least I didn't it. say he did Shaun of the Dead because that's another right, isn't it? That's uh, Edgar right. right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which, which crops up later. In, this episode okay well yeah well so, uh, but they're both english directors as well aren't they so uh, yeah they're both called right so you know yeah. we'll just cl- categorize them they're probably brothers yes law of averages <laughs> uh, i think you might have made that one up but but I yeah might have done. <laughs> yeah you see you get me you get me looking these things up now and then i uh, i'm i'm just being flippant you know yeah yeah no i don't think they're connected beyond the fact they're no, both, both, they are. both english <laughs> and probably of a similar age but that would probably be yeah. the extent of it. It's a shame they're not brothers, because then they would be the right brothers, wouldn't they? But that would have been better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Anyway, never mind. Moving, yeah. moving swiftly on to the All next right. day. So yeah, that's, that's Pride and Prejudice, uh, Saturday the 6th of August, at uh, 6pm on BBC Two. Uh, let's move to Sunday the 7th of August, 9.05pm on Great Movies Action. This this is not the film I thought it was. This is no. the Alamo, but not that version of the Alamo. No, no. So not the famous, famous Alamo with John Wayne. <clears throat> this is a much later version, which is probably more historically accurate. Um, a bit of a labour of love, I think, by the director, John Lee Hancock. Um, and it's got Dennis Quaid, and in particular, Billy Bob Thornton in it, playing Davy Crockett. Jason Patrick's in it as well. Uh, Patrick Wilson and William B. Travis. And it basically is a fairly faithful telling of what happened at the Battle of the Alamo where um, a fairly small bunch of Americans defended the, the fort of the Alamo against an overwhelming number of Mexicans, but they refused to surrender. And this was during the war where Texas um, seceded from Mexico. Um, and although this was a defeat, it then inspired the Texans, well, it was a massacre as well as a defeat, but it was a, if there is such a thing as a heroic massacre, then the Alamo was it. And it inspired the Texans to repel the Mexican army and uh, win the war and um, get good favorable peace terms at the end of that war. So uh, it tells that story really. And it's, it's a pretty faithful, historically accurate representation. It's very well acted as well. So I'd, I'd check it out if you don't know it. Okay. Um, Worth I, a watch. Did, I didn't know that the original Alamo uh, was directed by uh, John Wayne. Uh, I, I didn't realize that uh, as well as starring in it. So uh, he played in that, he played Davy Crockett, which is what, um, see, yeah. Billy Bob Thornton's is who Billy Bob Thornton's playing in this one, uh, but but yeah, uh, I always think Dennis Quaid is well so so good in everything he does, and <coughs> I'd know, agree, yeah. I I am genuinely yes, he's surprised he's, big, he's not a bigger actor than he is because he was in yeah. some big films in the eighties, and then you know more recently seems to have had something of a resurgence, but there seemed to be a period of time where uh, I believe he had shall we say, personal issues that I think may... Yeah, I think so. That probably overshadowed his on-screen career. It shouldn't have done, because I, I agree with you. He's excellent at everything he does. I've seen him in so many movies over the years, and you just know that if he's playing the role, he's going to be good. And yeah. I think you're right. There was a period when he did big, The Big Easy, where I thought, oh, he's going to be the next Kevin Costner type. You know, he's going to, he was a couple of years beyond yeah. the Kevin untouchables. Yeah, Kevin Costner, Harrison Ford, someone out, like know. that. You know, yeah, I yeah. thought he was, he was destined for that <clears throat> yeah. path. And and yeah, he did the Big Easy Inner Space, which was a great sci-fi mm. comedy movie that he did with Meg Ryan. Um, and That's right, uh, yeah, you know, who was his wife at the time. And and yeah, yeah, you know, th- they seem to be the the big Hollywood power couple. And you thought, wow, the golden couple for a brief yeah. period, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, but anyway, but anyway, 
the Alamo. You may overlook it because it's not the original, but but do not do that mm. because uh, Howard Linsky tells you so. Uh, and that is, <laughs> and he, he knows what he's talking about. And that's on well, Sunday, the 7th of August, 9.05 p.m. on Great Movies Action. So let's move to Monday, the 8th of August, 10.05 p.m. on ITV4. Already been alluded to in the film guide this week, Shaun of the Dead. Do you know yes, what? The other, Most the other of you who do this film guide, you will love that movie. And, and I think it's all right, but oh. you all, you it's so invariably oh, like it's on the it, film yeah. guide. And, and, and it just seems, <clears> it, it it appeals to a lot of film experts. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I just thought it was a very um, uh, good uh, Mickey take of the zombie genre, <clears throat> particularly in the early bits where Simon Pegg wanders around London, not realising that half the population has already turned into zombies because he, he just doesn't notice because they appear to be acting <laughs> That is similar to most of the people that he normally bumps into. Um, and he plays a downtrodden salesman. He's caught up in a zombie apocalypse with his friend. Uh, that, that leads to half a dozen people, including them, having to get across London. So he's trying to rescue his um, ex-girlfriend and, uh, you know, uh, her parents at one point, or was it even his parents? I can't, I can't remember. Um, I think it's his mother and her um, her new husband that uh, played by bill nighy and uh it is part of what they refer to as the cornetto trilogy never quite sure why they call it that but it's because in each, includes... each of the movies they eat a cornetto at one point it's as simple as that each as of simple the... as that. Uh, simon peg and nick frost at some point in each of those movies eat a cornetto even wow. though they play okay. completely different characters and completely <clears throat> different premises but they yeah well, the second movie in that that uh, trilogy is Hot Fuzz, which I thought was brilliant. And then there's The World's End, which I was much less keen on, was the third one, except that it is an odd look to, to for, for me to watch that one because it's set in various pubs in Welland Garden City, uh, most of which I've drunk in at some point. So yeah. at, least, at least you find yourself going, oh, look. And some of them you're there. still allowed in, aren't you? Some of them. Yeah, I'm not barred from yeah. all the pubs in Welland. No. You know, no. For being um, a film okay. ball. There you go. So Shaun of the Dead, a, a, a lovingly uh, portrayed zombie. It's a real homage. It's not a, it's not a spoof yeah. of the zombie films. It's a loving homage to them in a comedic Very good. way. Very good. Um, and and you know, I love they, the way you made the H silent in homage instead of homage or homage or whatever. You went French on me. Is, and homage. Is that not me. how you say it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I thought in Britain you would probably say homage. Would you homage to? But you went and homage to, and I thought, oh, he's gone all Cannes Film Festival and, uh, you know, Grand Jury Prize. And, uh, well, you never know who might know, be listening. You might want to give me a proper job doing this sort of exactly, nonsense. Exactly, it's good. Yeah. It's, I think it's raising the bar. Well done, you know, yeah, make, keeping you. it classy. <laughs> I'd like to think so. And also, you you mix in far greater circles than I, and you you may well you know, drop my name in somewhere, and they might tune into this whole nonsense. I'm very well. Yeah, yes. yeah, we need him. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they say, what we need is, I go, aha, yeah. do I know the guy for you? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Shaun of the Dead, Monday the 8th of August, 10.05pm on ITV4. We move to Tuesday the 9th of August, another British movie. There's a lot of British movies being chosen uh, so yes, far. Yes, we've in, got a good run film, of them right? this time. Yeah, and this one, a biographical film that might have passed you by, but it shouldn't have done because it was rather good. Oh, it was, I um, thought it was good. Eddie, I mean, it's funny really to think about it, if you remember the original guy. It's Eddie the Eagle. Who would have thought that that would be yeah. a, 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 make a biographical movie? But 6.50pm yeah. on film for. It's done well by Dexter Fletcher as, as in, with his directorial um, role rather than acting. And it's got Taron Egerton, is it, who plays mm-hmm. uh, Michael Edwards, but we know him as Eddie the Eagle. So he's the British skier who, way back in 1988, dominated uh, talk of the Olympics by um, doing the 
uh, the ski jumping, which um, he wasn't all that great at, but for a Brit, he was very good at, and also it was quite brave because he was hurtling down this ski ramp, going you know quite quite high when he hurtled off it as well. And we sort of looked upon it as a bit of a comedy act at the time, but but also you know it was pretty damn dangerous what he did. So he, he was the people's hero, the wasn't world. he? The people's champion he was, because yeah, he, was, he was he was last, wasn't he? <clears throat> in what he did, he, he, I think he finished last at that Olympics or near it. <clears throat> but he had a go. He had that spirit, and he he he, yes. he, he had a go, and we loved him for I, it. And he, he was probably the first of quite a number of Olympic um, events where it's the plucky loser who comes kind of last or second off last who, who captures the hearts rather than the android-like professional who you know wins the 15th gold medal of his career. So yeah. I think that was part of the charm. He was like the underdog who just wanted to go to the Olympics. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> the supporting cast is kind of weird for a, what I would imagine wasn't a massively high-budget British movie. You got Wolverine, so Hugh Jackman, <laughs> As, yeah. as his coach, Christopher Walken's in it, uh, and also Jim Broadbent as well. And uh, they, they all, I don't know, they turn it into quite a heartwarming movie. It was good. It was a good film, so it's worth a watch. And yeah, probably better than I thought it was going to be. When I, I remember putting it on one evening, channel surfing, and up it came, and I thought, all oh, right, go on then, convince me. And it did. It was good, so it's worth a watch. And um, and interesting as well, Dexter Fletcher, who went on a couple of years later to have more uh, biographical success again with Taron Egerton in, in Rocketman. Yeah. Yes, yes, and uh, he's uh, yeah, he's um, carved out in a whole different career. I, mean, I think we all knew Dexter Fletcher for years in various movies and TV series as an actor, but going behind uh, the camera, he's done incredibly well. So yeah, he's uh, yeah. Uh, a bit of a star director now. Yeah. And coming up, he's doing Sherlock Holmes three, the the the, the um, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Jude Law thing. That um, ah, right. it was Guy Ritchie, wasn't it? Who did the first two? It was. Yes, he did. Yeah, and there's been quite a gap between two and three. But uh, yeah, and and Dexter Robert Fletcher has been quite busy, hasn't he? He's been a little bit busy. Yeah, but yeah, but I can't Dexter remember what Fletcher, he did, you know. <laughs> Dexter Fletcher, I think, has collaborated with. Um, I think he appeared in a couple of Guy Ritchie movies, didn't he? So mm, he did. I, I'm, yes, I'm yeah. guessing it's probably with with a degree of blessing that he's doing this. This uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see if Guy Ritchie's producing this one then, or exec yeah. producing perhaps. Yeah. Quite possibly, but anyway, Let's that's that's the movie uh, Eddie the Eagle, Tuesday the 9th of August, six fifty PM on Film Four. Let's move to Wednesday the tenth of August. So technically into the wee small hours of Thursday morning, because at one ten AM on Film Four we have Paris, Texas. Got a bit art house on you on this one, but it's an interesting coincidence because Paris, Texas is actually out in the cinemas again. This well, as we speak, it's coming out, but only in art house cinemas across the country. It's like a remastered version of it, but. Um, Oh, gosh, I'm old enough to remember it the first time around. So it's going way back to 1984. It's Vim Vendors, and it stars the brilliant Harry Dean Stanton, um, who's the guy who's not only a great actor, but he's got a face like an unmade bed. He's the most crumpled, or was the most crumpled character actor in Hollywood for many a year. Dean Stockwell's in it as well. He's always very good. Uh, Nastasia Kinski um, as the estranged wife of Harry Dean Stanton's character. What happens is Harry Dean Stanton, at the beginning, walks out of the desert, having been gone missing for several years, and his brother, Dean Stockwell, is called to come and fetch him. And the whole movie is all about, well, where has he been? What's happened to him? He doesn't have any memory. And <clears throat> it turned out he's estranged from his wife. Um, his son is being brought up by his brother, played by Dean Stockwell, and Dean Stockwell's character's wife. Uh, and they're a little bit worried because they don't want to lose the boy. 
Um, and, I, you know, it's been a long while since I've seen this movie, so I don't remember every line of dialogue, but I just remember it's all in the acting. You know, the Harry Dean Stanton and, and Nastasia Kinski toward the end of the movie, because that's when she really features explaining how their relationship went south and why. And um, it's all about the characters and their, their, you know, the way they express themselves, I suppose. And it's, um, yeah, sit back and enjoy. Um, it's got a classic uh, guitar um, soundtrack by the legendary Rai Kuda as well, who's, um, you know, as I said, legendary. So you, you're in for a treat with the, the score. The cinematography is really good as well, particularly in the early desert scenes. And, um, yeah, if you don't mind a bit of art house, give this one a go. Why? Oh, a few questions for you. First off, mm. why do you like this film so much? What What is it that this film, because you're by no means think, alone in your love of this movie. Yeah, I think, well, so it, again, it's a, it's a long time since I've seen it, so it might be possible I watched it again. I mean, an older, more cynical person, I might not like it as much, but what I liked about it was it's quite enigmatic at the beginning. Um, Harry Dean Stanton is a kind of, uh, the kind of actor I could watch all day long doing more or less anything. He's so good. Uh, brilliant in, in in Alien, for example, in the uh, one of the one of the crew members of Alien. I thought, having watched that film over and over again, I realised what a good actor he was there. And he often doesn't play the lead role. It's rare that he played a lead, and he got the lead in this one. And I just thought he was very good, very convincing. Um, had a sad tale to tell, and you get a drip feed on it. You don't. It doesn't just emerge from the desert and go, "Oh my God, this is what happened to me." It, it takes a while to tease it out of him. Um, and I was, I think I just stayed up late one night when I was really quite young and watched this and thought, yeah, this is, this is good. This is worth a watch. And okay. uh, at the time it won a, a lot of awards and catapulted him up a bit in terms of his profile, but it's not like he went on to do a whole bunch of other lead roles because he wasn't really that kind of actor. He was not young even then. Um, and he's more of a supporting actor. So he was 35 years older than his, the actress playing his wife. Um God when he did this and he was 35 years older than Natasha Kinski. Um, <clears throat> Harry Dean Stanton lists this as his favorite movie or listed mm. this as his favorite movie. Um, Ak- Akira Kurosawa um, listed this as his favorite movie. Yeah. Th- there's oh, well. a lot of the kind of two great Scottish bands. Um, in, their names were derived from this movie. Um, I don't know if you can think of who they might be. Well, one of them is going to be Texas. And yes. is there a band called yeah. Paris as well? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. No, no, Texas was one, and Travis right. was the other. They oh, both said right, because his they, character is Travis. Yeah, yeah. and, and ah. that's where they got their, their name from. Uh, Kurt Cobain right. said that this was his favourite movie of all time. That This oh, wow. is a film that has an awful lot of love. As mm. someone who, who really enjoys films and has a medium amount of knowledge of films, if I didn't know this was a Vim Vendor's film, I'd have said this was David Lynch. Oh right, okay. Because yeah, I yeah. think there's a lot of Lynchisms in this. If that's a yeah, phrase, a, a little, little not least Harry it's... Dean Stanton, who I think has been in a lot of David Lynch work over the years. Ah, right, gotcha. And it was a, a play written by Sam Shepard as well, who's written a lot of stuff over the years and done a lot of acting. So I think it's it's very American in its outlook, even though it's directed by Vin Vendors. So yeah, um, that probably contributes to the atmosphere of it. But yeah, I did. I kind of I'm talking myself into watching it again because it's so many years since I've seen it. Yeah, um, I do I do uh, what you mentioned the age gap. I do think Nastasia Kinski was probably miscast in terms of her age, but because she's a good actress, she can more or less, you know, overlook that. But mm. yeah, they're not they're not a very um, 
believable couple in a way. But, but, uh, um, but unless you married I think a very young. Of, <clears throat> that sort of lends itself to it in a way because mm. it's kooky, it's weird, it doesn't seem to fit. You look at her and you think, you know, Nastasia Kinski was one of the, 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 the most beautiful actresses of of that period of, of cinema mm. in the 80s she was at, and then you know with a bloke with a was it a face like an unmade bed as you called him yeah. you know um yeah he's very he's the def, uh, defining kind of crumpled looking actor yeah who was 35 years older and and so yeah, made incredible. no real sense why those two would have been a couple which kind of no. worked for the movie mm, yeah but, you're right probably but, did yeah but in my head this is very similar tonally to a uh, blue velvet which was a David Lynch movie oh, yeah. from a similar yeah, about this. time. Yes, within a year, I think, of uh, Paris, Texas. I think 85, wasn't it, Blue Velvet? Off the top of my head, I might be wrong, but uh, around about then, anyway. Certainly not... Uh, 86, very, uh, apparently. So, yeah, oh, very close we to go. that. Well done. Mm. Um, and I think, was Harry Dean Stanton in that as well? Oh, was he? Uh, um, Dean Stockwell was. Right. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I might have made up about Harry Dean Stanton, but Harry Dean Stanton has been in a lot of David Lynch movies and was in mm. Twin Peaks and has done <clears> lots <throat> of different things with him. Um, but uh, but yes. yeah, worth, worth watching for Harry alone, really. Okay, well that's the the enigmatic Paris, Texas, uh, which is mm. a Wednesday movie, but technically into the wee small hours of Thursday, one ten a.m. on Film Four. Let's move to our final film choice, and I I. I have all but forgotten this film existed, which is which is strange because I'm a <laughs> massive fan of one of the stars. But Thursday the uh, 11th of August, cool. and technically we small as a Friday morning, 12, 10 a.m. Mm. on Great Movies Classics, it's Shout at the Devil. Yeah, so this is a curious uh, curious movie. I remember it from childhood. It's a war movie. Was... That's not like you. Well, I know, I know, but I, I could barely remember much of it. But the reason I recommended it, I was, I was about to give up. I was looking across... All the movies on free to wear for that day, and I thought none of them really were worthy of a recommendation. Either I'd not seen them, or I hadn't enjoyed them, or wasn't thinking too much of them. And then I thought, "Shout the devil!" God, I remember seeing that when I was a kid, and really quite enjoyed it. Now, this shows how old it's—1976, so I was quite small even then. Uh, not that I'm exactly tall now, but uh, I thought, yeah, I, I, maybe I'd have another look at this one. And it's—I'd forgotten that it's based on a novel by Wilbur Smith. And that is also a novel that was loosely inspired by real events, which is a, the sinking of a German ship. So what Wilbur Smith did, he took this idea. Um, uh, it's set in Africa, and the story features um, a guy who's ostensibly poaching ivory um, back in a, in a world where, you know, that was probably more socially acceptable, um, back in the First World War era. And uh, it's in German East Africa. And the Germans make it personal with uh, Lee Marvin's character. So Lee Marvin plays this poacher and he enlists as his um, helper, Roger Moore, um, who looks rather strange walking through uh, East Africa in his, uh, almost like his safari suits that he used to wear when he was in the Bond movies. But um, they are the unlikely couple who the Germans take exception to. Um, and it's a it basically starts a sort of tit-for-tat war where things are destroyed and people are killed and eventually Lee Marvin and Roger Moore decide that they're going to sink a German ship which has their nemesis aboard, a German officer. And that is the crux of the of the tale. But I just remember it being quite a good action movie from back in the 70s where, you know, I'd go to the cinema quite a lot as a youngster with or without the parents and uh, check these movies out with these big names from the 70s. And if it wasn't a Bond movie, then it often had um, Bond 
you know, in, in another role. So it'd either be Moore or Connery playing someone. And uh, they were they were pretty good, fun movies. So I thought, I'll give it another watch and hopefully still enjoy it. And maybe you will too. So, um, yeah, this is directed by Peter Hunt, who uh, was the editor of the first six Bond movies and then directed on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And often he's, he's, he's felt like he was very sadly overlooked because of that movie, because his directing of that movie was phenomenal. But because of the fact that it was George Lazenby who just did the one movie and, you know, yeah. history remembers it as being a flop when it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't no, by any means. Movie, by the way. <clears throat> but it did hurt Peter Hunt's career and he never really made the films he should have made, but this was one he was that because nobody wanted him. They didn't want to touch him. And so he struggled mm. where he should have been a bigger director than he ever was. But this was one that, that he really proved to people, look, you know, I'm quite good at this. Mm, and uh, made, I mean, yeah. made a great action movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, so I, my memory of this, uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit younger than you. And, and mm. back in the early 80s, James Bond films were only ever on television on bank holidays. We, did, we didn't get them on all the time as we do now. Uh, Often on Christmas Day, it was the big highlight, wasn't it? The yeah, yeah the Christmas Day, Christmas Day, Easter Sunday, it would be, you know, mm. it, would, it was just high days and holidays where you'd get a Bond movie. Uh, home... Uh, owning movies at home was unheard of. Nobody mm-hmm. owned movies. You could go to video shops and and rent them, but you know th- th- there was you know. Th- so basically, if you wanted it, you, if you wanted more, more, um, the only way you could really <laughs> get it was with the other movies that I think at the time they showed all the time. And I think it was forever that they were showing uh, North Sea Hijack, uh, Gold. Yeah. And Gold Shout was the, the other one. I was just going yeah. to mention, yeah. Mm. So these were three Roger Moore movies that he made between the Bond films in the seventies, and I yep. think they got quite high rotation on television because and the Wild Geese was the other one that, uh, that yeah. used to show quite a bit of yeah. that he was in as well with Richard I, Burton. I, and but of course that one was that much more adult in its tone mm, and in its it nature, and yeah. so it, it it whereas these were more a little bit more family friendly. They were action movies. In fact, I think Gold was was that also a Will Smith story? Yes, I think so. Yeah, and, well, and, I remember, I've got a vague memory of watching that at the cinema and being that again down in Mines, and uh, yeah, but it was an action movie, and I think it was based on a, a Will Smith story. Yeah, and and so you know, if 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 audiences wanted, you know, Roger Moore at the time was James Bond. He was he was this bit, you know, suddenly he was massive, and because television could only show, it would seem only had the rights to show the Bond films at special times of the year, and even then it was. You know, they just showed the one of them. Um, you know, people were, were hungry for more, I think. And, and I keep saying more and then realising it's his also his surname. I don't mean to be pulling the, the puns. But... Oh, Mua, as we say in the northeast of England, because yeah. we're odd like that. Yeah. Roger Mua. Yeah. You know, but, uh, uh, yes, if you want so, more, more. <laughs> yeah. So I think this this film, along with Gold and North Sea Hijack, got a lot of TV play back then mm. because the TV companies would have had the rights to have shown these movies more frequently than the, 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 the highly protected rights to the Bond films. Mm. Uh, and You're so right. I think it, it probably grew in notoriety because of that. Uh, but, uh, but it does look a, an interesting film, uh, but it's also a very long film. I should point out it's two and a half hours long, movie, oh, wow. which for, yeah. even for an action movie, that's quite long. Well, I can imagine um, back in the day, 76, you know, people wanted a night out and uh, two and a half hours was required oh, to yeah. get your money's worth and get value, you know. Oddly enough, they used to quite often run double features as well. Yeah. So go and see our movie and then another movie. Yeah. So, you know, 
This is you barely have time to watch a five-minute YouTube clip, but uh, <laughs> back then without computers, <laughs> attention <laughs> spans. Five hours in a cinema. Attention spans are not what they were. It would seem no, but, definitely. Uh, but yeah, so um, you, you you've got uh, yeah, shout at the devil, which is the uh, also um, uh, gold. Saying about uh, another one by Wilbur Smith, another one directed by Peter Hunt as well. So it was a oh, well. so it was a re- oh, and it came mm. two years before. So it was a reteaming mm. of Peter Hunt, Roger Moore, and Wilbur Smith. So Peter Hunt didn't do too badly, considering you know you're right that he was probably kept away from the, the very very big stuff. But to direct those two, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't in Hollywood, but he was still making I guess <coughs> what would be ostensibly British movies. I, I guess both mm. of those would be classed as as British movies. Um, uh, I'm now curious <coughs> to know whether or not North Sea Hijack was also him. Um, oh yeah. Which would be interesting. Did he get the triple crown of all three? Well, yeah. Uh, or, or does he only work in Africa? You know. <laughs> he, so he he directed um, Wild Geese Two. He did, which Roger uh, Moore wasn't in. Roger Moore was in the first one, but not in the second one. Uh, I don't even know if I've seen Wild Geese Two. To be honest, I believe it's the final acting role of Laurence Olivier who's in there. Uh, but it was it was. It bore almost no relation to the original Wild Geese. It didn't. Ha- I don't yes. believe it had. I think one of the characters was related to Richard Burton's character. I think right. that was as tenuous as it got. Um, yeah. But uh, exactly, said the world alight. No, it it was. Uh, yeah, it was a very low budget in comparison. Uh, anyway, no, Peter Hunt didn't direct uh, North Sea Hijack. Um, but uh, there disappointingly. You go. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gutted now because, because that was quite a, quite a good movie as well, from what I remember, mm. um, or at least it was to the sort of the, the eight year old me. Um, mm. that was yes, we might be old and more cynical these days, but uh, hopefully not. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that that pretty much concludes uh, the um, actually. North Sea Hijack was directed by the same bloke who directed the Sea Wolves, which was another Roger Moore movie from another that Roger. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. did he just get a bit lazy and think, you know, yeah, I'll just work with the same guys. I know it's going to be fine. You know, yeah. I mean, m- maybe it was an element of being. Um, oh, and, and that that director also did the Wild Geese. Um, ah, <clears throat> uh, Andrew V. McLachlan. Right. Is the name of the the? Guy. I do like the Wild Geese. Very good film. Great ending as well. Yeah, so he did the Wild Geese, North really Sea Hijack, and the Sea Wolves, uh, all with Roger Moore. Uh, anyway, that, that's a massive digression. Um, Howard, th- those movies you've just uh, recommended to us. If we could only had time to watch one, which one would be your film of the week? I, I, I want. I really want to watch Paris, Texas again. So I'm going to go for that one. Okay. It's been wetted by discussing the brilliance of Harry Dean Stanton. So let's go for that one this time. Great stuff. The uh, the ch- uh, choices that Howard has recommended for us, though, they can all be found in the podcast notes right now and also on our website at stalbanspodcast.com. Next week, it's the return of uh, Chris and Sam doing the uh, the film guide, and then the week after will be um, Max Hartington. Uh, so this is carrying on throughout the summer. Uh, but, um, but yeah, the other, if you're wondering where the other podcast has gone, and that's taking a break till September. But uh, ha- Howard, thank you very much. And uh, all of thank Howard's you, books are out now. They're all available um, wherever you can get your books from, and they are very good. So go and buy some. 